Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Tuesday, January the 29th, and we're talking consumer goods. I'm your host, Shannon Jones, and I am joined via Skype by uh, all-around awesome fool and our foolish contributor, Dan (laughs) Klein. Dan, how are you? Uh, hey there, Shannon. I think this is our first show together. This is our first show and very much long overdue. So I'm I'm super excited about that. Even more excited to talk about what I consider, you know, one of the four basic food groups, and that's coffee today <laughs> with you, Dan. And honestly, Dan, no greater person to talk about coffee because apparently you are quite the coffee connoisseur, aren't you? Well, I'm more the coffee sort of play with it. I, I own every coffee gadget. I have an espresso, I have the Starbucks machine, I have multiple carrigs, uh, and I am definitely the person that tries every single drink that comes out. So when Starbucks releases something new, I'm generally one of the first people in line to try it and eh, maybe not have it ever again. <laughs> Fair enough. So you definitely drink the proverbial Kool-Aid that Starbucks offers, Dan. But also oh, some- don't. Don't give them any ideas. If there if there's a Starbucks Kool-Aid mashup, that is not a great idea. But I, I want to talk about something before we get into Starbucks, because that'll really be the focus of today's show. But you mentioned something um, in planning the show. So you, you drink coffee every day. Uh, but when it comes to hot coffee, you've only actually purchased it a handful of times. Is that right? So I, I live in West Palm Beach, Florida, have for the past uh, two and a half years or so. And it's never cold enough, in my opinion, to need hot coffee. The two or three times I bought it have been days where like, I'm walking to the office and there's a freak rainstorm, so I'm absolutely soaked to the bone. Generally, it's like it's, quote, cold today. It's 65. 65 is iced coffee weather. It's not hot coffee weather. If I'm in the office at home and it's air conditioned, maybe I'll make a cup of coffee or something. But I really see no scenario where you're going to purchase hot coffee when you live in a basically a tropical paradise. Okay, fair enough, Dan, because I was going to uh, beat you with a stick over that because I think it's blasphemy, iced coffee, whatever kind of concoction that is. I don't think it's right. It's not natural. In, in... Here's the thing. I'm from New England. <laughs> if, you go to, if you go to Dunkin' Donuts right now where it's you know zero or three in, in Salem, Mass., where my mom lives, 80% of the coffee sold are going to be iced coffee. Uh, that Fair point. Fair point there. But let's talk about some of the other folks that are being lured by iced coffee and hot <laughs> coffee, and specifically to Starbucks for our listeners joining the Consumer Goods Show today. Um, we're going to be talking about Starbucks. They just reported their uh, Q1 for earnings for fiscal year 2019. So we're going to be talking about that and also their strategy as well. But let's start with earnings, Dan. What did we see in this first first quarter of the year? Well, the the numbers are good. Um, On a superficial basis, Starbucks tends to sink or fall based on same-store sales. And they posted a 4% increase in same-store sales, uh, specifically also in the U.S., which is way better than they've been doing. And it's sort of uh, a testament to how they've been focusing on operations. They did not increase foot traffic, but they did manage to get people to spend more. And that's something they've been working really hard on. Absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, that 4% increase in same-store sales, certainly good 
for our investors and listeners who've been following Starbucks for some time, really 5% has been what uh, the Howard Schultz era has really been looking forward to. So to see it 4%, certainly an encouragement, especially when they were you know sub below 4% in the past. So we are starting to see somewhat um, of a turnaround, although I will say new CEO Kevin Johnson is narrowing the focus in terms of guidance. He's aiming for about 3 to 4% same-store sales, which I think is certainly a much safer way to play it, especially as we get into strategy, what they're going to be doing. But certainly interesting to see that you've got uh, this increase coming from how much consumers are spending. So it was the average ticket sales that were really driving that, and not necessarily foot traffic. When we do like to see both, we love that. But here, we'll take what we can get. Well, I think you also have a store that's, at least in the United States, near the saturation point. So you're not necessarily going to bring in a lot of new customers because everyone knows what Starbucks is. It's not like they open a Starbucks in your neighborhood and you're like just getting exposed to it. They're opening one in your neighborhood and there are 17 others. So the fact that you can keep even stay even in that market, 4% is a pretty big number. And that's really 4% based on efficiency. When they first launched mobile order and pay, there were backups in the store. And that caused people to literally put, put pop their head in the store, look in and go, "Eh, I'm getting my coffee someplace else. They've managed to handle that problem, and that's largely by efficiency. They've taken about 40% of the work out of the barista's day that doesn't have to do with serving customers. So things like ordering are now automated. Uh, Some of the cleaning functions have moved to the end of the day after the stores have closed. So really, they're getting more people in and out, and that might make it easier for you to say, you know what, I'm getting a latte, Uh, I can wait for a sandwich to get heated up. It's not going to be too long. And speaking of just operational efficiency, I think this is really the earmark of new CEO Kevin Johnson, because for him, he's a much more disciplined leader. You had Howard Schultz, who was really the visionary. He was the one with these grandiose expansion plans and, you know, store concepts like the Reserve, this premium high-priced coffee. And now under CEO Kevin Johnson, it's a much more disciplined approach. So he is going and really targeting um, the data and analytics that the the company has to offer, especially with their app, Um, but also, too, scaling back a lot of those grandiose plans that were there. So we saw in this announcement, too, that uh, the Reserve Cafes, at one point, Starbucks was hoping to open up over 1,000 of these stores. They've scaled that back, um, looking to actually pilot this in a few select markets moving forward, um, just to see if it's indeed worth the returns before they start building more. So I see here under CEO Kevin Johnson, you just have a much more disciplined, strategic focus. So I have very mixed feelings about this. I like the work he's doing to make stores operate better, but I don't like him not having a sort of vision. Um, I think a thousand reserve standalone stores was kind of silly, but he's also scaled back the plan to put reserve bars into 20% of the existing stores. Now, what reserve bars would have allowed is Starbucks to have sort of a secondary experience where you spend more money. It's kind of like putting a coffee-based wine bar inside 20% of Starbucks. I've been to the roastery in Seattle. I've seen how much money people spend and how much they enjoy that sort of tailored experience where you talk about what you like and they match your coffee to your pastry and all that. And frankly, I think that would work. And I don't want to see Starbucks just become this company that sort of micromanages the margins and and gets of innovation. Um, People sold out 
the $20 whiskey barrel aged coffee at the roastery in like a couple of hours. So I hope this is just Johnson taking a measured, careful approach to to Howard Schultz, who would just throw everything at the wall and see if it worked. So if he's a if he's going to test this and then roll it out, I think that's great. If he's mothballing this, like it kind of feels like he's doing, then I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, fair point there. Let's talk about also just the number of new stores they opened in this Q1. And what was interesting to me, Dan, is that uh, a significant portion of those new stores was actually outside of the U.S. What can you tell us about that? Well, it's about one a day in China. Um, So they opened, I don't remember the exact number, 550 or so new stores. So right there, you're getting a big chunk in China. And in the U.S., they're only doing strategic openings. And about half the stores they've opened are are not company-run stores, are stores done with with partnerships. Uh, So it's a very aggressive expansion plan. But for the most part, it's operating in markets where they've already figured out what the business is. In China, they already have thousands of stores. So it's not a risk to move into a new city or to expand their base. This is really China catching up to the US, the US filling in holes, and then I hate to say lesser markets, let's call them smaller markets for the company, sort of building out to scale. So Dan, I want to pick your brain here because, you know, certainly expansion in China makes sense. You've got a growing middle class there um, and going after and capitalizing on the Starbucks brand there in China makes 110% sense. But I think as an investor, do you also worry about the slowdown in China impacting these aggressive expansion plans for Starbucks? So I don't that much because Starbucks is what you call an affordable indulgence. So when everything goes bad, you might scale back on vacations. You might uh, not go to a sporting event, not buy a new purse, a new outfit, whatever it is. But you're probably still going to have your $4 latte. In fact, you might have your $4 latte more often because you can't go on vacation or you can't do some of the grander things. So unless the economy truly collapses in China to the point where people literally don't have the money to go to Starbucks, I actually feel they might benefit from a little bit of a slowdown. Yeah, it was interesting even just looking at uh, same-source sales. So, of course, in the U.S., we saw 4%. It was only about 1% in China. So, it will be something, certainly, to watch. Um, I have to agree. I'm, well, I, I would say I'm kind of mixed on China. You do have the economy there, I think, slowing to the slowest pace in about three decades there. So, there will be some slowdown. And you've also got competition um, that I think there's a new startup that just launched uh, recently in China as well. So, I'm, I'm a little tempered there. In China, just giving all of those factors. But all in all, with that being said, it sounds like Starbucks overall had a good quarter. Looks like they grew their loyalty program to 16.3 million active members in the US, and that's up 14% year over year. And that led to uh, some, some pretty impressive revenue numbers, too, Dan. So we're going to talk a lot about the loyalty program later in the show uh, when we talk about day parts and how they're trying to move traffic around. But there's two major pieces to their technology initiative. They added a million people to the loyalty program, and that's just flat out customers they can message regularly, people who have the app installed, they have mobile order and pay. Those are hardcore Starbucks customers. They've also collected millions of addresses through a new program where if you log into Wi-Fi at Starbucks, 
it collects your email one time on that device and then they have the ability to message you. They're not going to message you very often, once a week, maybe even only twice a month. But once they start doing that, they'll have tens of millions of more people that they can sort of try to, one, move to action, but also try to get them to cross the hump to join the loyalty program. Yeah, and certainly makes sense. And so what we actually saw was uh, revenues hit $6.6 billion in Q1. And I do think a lot of that is about building out this ecosystem within the reward. So looking at the active users versus those that are just simply registered and being able to target them with the data is a very smart move. Let's actually dig more into the strategy, though, because it's not just about technology. Um, It is not just about having a good cup of coffee, but it's also about when and how you target target people. So let's shift gears and talk a little bit about how they're trying to drive more traffic throughout the day. So the afternoon is kind of the coffee shop holy grail. And and we talked about this back and forth when we were planning this show. We could probably spend an entire half hour just laughing about things that Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts have tried to get you to go there in the afternoon. Beer and wine. Dunkin' Donuts had pizza. Uh, Starbucks had the physio sodas. Uh, what's your favorite failed Starbucks afternoon initiative? I don't know if I would call this failed, but was certainly uh, worth a lot more effort than I think it actually put out. But the the what was it? The unicorn. Frap? <laughs> the, the unicorn frap was more of a way to get kids in than so much a, a, a way to get you to the afternoon. Uh, and it was terrible. I don't know if you were in the office when oh, uh, former industry focus host Michael Douglas and I walked around uh, sharing one with everyone, but it was dreadfully sweet. <laughs> Absolutely. And certainly in my part was probably the worst things I tasted. I didn't even know how to describe it at that point. But to your point, Dan, they've tried um, a lot of different unique offerings, unique takes throughout different times of the day. And even too, like what you saw with the 2017 holiday season, they had this huge menu of offerings. They even started to pair that back this year to become a much more focused company in terms of what they are offering to customers. Well, I think they realize when it comes to day parts, nobody is going to say, hey, you know where I'll go for dinner? Starbucks. (laughs) Like, So instead of focusing on, hey, here's a new magic product that's going to get me to come in at three in the afternoon, they started analyzing their data. They've looked and said, okay, Dan comes in in the morning and he buys an iced coffee every day and he comes in on the weekend and I have my son with me, so he buys a refresher and some gummy bears or a bagel or something else. And they analyze that data and they say, okay, here is a free offer specific for Dan, a buy one, get one, or a discount, or extra stars for the rewards program, whatever it is. And they say, if you come in after two o'clock and do these things, we'll give you this. And that absolutely drives behavior. That that makes me say, well, I wasn't thinking about walking to Starbucks with my son after school, but maybe we'll do that because they're giving me buy one, get one, so I won't be spending as much money. It's a much start, smarter strategy than throwing some ice cream and some coffee and trying to lure people in. And not only that, too, because if you think about, to your point, with the just market being oversaturated with all these retail locations, if you can drive more customers to the store throughout the day, you're actually being able to leverage these existing locations and just crank out more revenue per location as well. So it makes sense to focus on that. But with all the failed uh, opportunities that they've had, Dan, certainly easier said than done. I think it also is changing just consumer behavior to get them to come to a coffee location for something like dinner. 
Yeah, I mean, and look, I don't think Starbucks is going to become more than like a secondary lunch option. You know, they have the whole Mercado menu that they're testing some places. And and I'm sure if you work near a Starbucks and can pick up an, a lunch and take it to go, you might do that. I don't think it's going to become a place a ton of people go and sit down, but they're open. So if, you, if you're a Starbucks in a business district, maybe you're open till 7 o'clock at night and you're very busy until 10 o'clock in the morning. So from 10 to 7 – Every new person you can bring into that store is basically brings your cost down and your profit up. You already have the staff. You're already putting the lights on. Your incremental cost of serving a customer is almost zero. So as I said earlier, they've gotten very smart and they're, they're using their existing customers, their most loyal people, and they're trying to figure out. And they've tried – I've probably gotten 20 different emails in the past two months with different ideas trying to lure me in in the afternoon. And I'm sure they're parsing all that data, figuring out what works, figuring out if there's different parts of the year where different offers work. You know, sometimes it's come in at 3 o'clock and get a deal on mugs or other merchandise. I mean that's that's bizarre but maybe I was thinking about buying a mug and that would put me over the top and when I'm there I'll buy a cup of coffee and a pastry. So they're getting very smart about it and I think whatever they figure out you'll see Duncan copy within the next six months. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, just continuing on on the technology front, so just with the Starbucks app in and of itself, uh, consider this. So Starbucks, 90 million transactions a week in over, I believe, 30,000 stores now worldwide. And the Starbucks app is actually considered one of the most popular mobile payments app. Hello, Apple Pay um, in the world, which is amazing to me. So they've got 30 million users, 16 which are actual active rewards members. And so you can see how a company like Starbucks, with all of this data on so many users in terms of what they're buying, what time of day they're buying it, um, you can really see how they can begin to leverage that data to target some of those upsell opportunities, to target um, their marketing and even their distribution and delivery, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, But you can really see how this is taking shape. And even more importantly, Starbucks is actually, it has an an AI uh, cloud-based system to predict what a customer may actually like, even if they've never tried it before. So maybe, Dan, that that mug that you saw in the store (laughs) that you were enticed to buy, you would have not thought about that unless you actually had the app. It's it's also one of the easier-to-use apps. And I point this out because my mom does not use Apple Pay, but she absolutely uses the Starbucks app. And the reason for that is you can walk into a Starbucks, do your whole order. It all takes place in the app. If you're using Apple Pay, you have to figure out exactly where to hold it to the reader. It doesn't always pop up correctly. Uh, In different stores, it kind of works different ways. Sometimes you have to put a pin in. Sometimes you have to don't. You you don't. The Starbucks app, if you mobile order and pay, you put your order in, you can customize it exactly how you want. That obviously has contributed to same-store sales because if I'm walking up to a barista, I am probably not going to say, I'd like my Frappuccino with heavy cream, extra whipped cream, and could you grind up a cinnamon roll on top of that? Whereas in the app – you can do all of those things with no shame. And that's that's something we've talked about on, uh, on the Consumer Goods Show regarding app-based and kiosk-based ordering a whole lot of times. But it's definitely helping push up sales when I can add a pastry or a piece of cake or a cookie or whatever without having to directly tell another person that I'm doing that on top of my coffee. 
Absolutely. And more importantly, too, if I have the app open, I'm much more likely to spend more time actually perusing the menu um, than I would if I just walk up. Because naturally, I'm just going to order what I normally order anyway if I just walk up. But when I have a chance to actually sit and look at the menu, um, I'm more than likely going to have a higher order size. And it's interesting because with Starbucks and this app, what they found is that mobile app users are actually spending about three times more than the average Starbucks customer who's just walking in. So it's really interesting there. Well, there's also a strategy there. I don't know how often you walk into a Starbucks, but most Starbucks, the physical menu is very limited. So when you walk in, you're really only – the menu is there for people who aren't familiar, who don't go to Starbucks that often. It has you know, a selection of Frappuccinos, a selection of, of different coffee beverages, a few things, but it does not have all the seasonal drinks. Now, there might be some signage promoting those, but if you go into the app, not only are there maybe three times as many things you can order, but – all of your ability to sort of manipulate those drinks, to change the milk to skim, to cut down on the sugar, to add a different syrup or topping, that's all in the app. And it makes it very enticing as an app user to use the app just to see if maybe there's a new special drink. Or if I walk into a Starbucks uh, that has the nitro cold brew, which my regular Starbucks doesn't, I'll see right away on the app that that's an option, uh, which is really just a very sophisticated way for the company to sort of make its most regular users kind of part of a club in a way that's not off-putting to regular customers. So another strategy that Starbucks is employing to really drive more traffic, especially in those day part hours that traditionally don't get a ton of traffic, is with the delivery model. I um, actually had a conversation with Chris Hill just this week about delivery and uh, we both pretty much agreed. I think delivery is going to become the expectation rather than uh, just you know something that's an extra perk or added benefit for really any quick service restaurant. You need to have a delivery model. Let's talk about how Starbucks is planning to capitalize on that. So Starbucks tested delivery in partnership with Uber Eats in the United States in Miami last year. And they're rolling that out to, I want to say, six more cities. Maybe it's seven uh, so they're very slowly with the idea that they're going to eventually deliver, maybe not everywhere, but certainly in dense urban markets. And I have been a delivery skeptic. Uh, Vince Chen and I often did shows talking about McDonald's. And I would say, I don't understand who wants McDonald's delivered when the lifespan of a Big Mac or a Chicken McNugget is like three minutes before it becomes absolutely inedible and not enjoyable in any way. And in some ways, I feel like that about Starbucks. Like, why would I want a coffee that's 25 minutes old? I think they promised 30-minute delivery. On the other hand, I do think in a business setting, Starbucks makes some sense. If you, it, I'm sure you've been in an office where someone takes a Starbucks order and it takes like 25 minutes to get everything specifically down. If you could actually just pass around a phone and have people input their own ridiculous drinks – that's going to speed up a system and make it easier for the intern you're making take your drink order, go take your drink order. That said, I think there's going to be an explosion of it, an expectation of it, and then a fallout of, hey, wait a minute, there's a Starbucks two minutes from here. Maybe I don't need to place a delivery order. You know what I think will be the key to that collapsing, Dan? I think it's when uh, the millennials, who would definitely be the ones who actually are, are trying out deliveries, when they see that $5 delivery fee or however much it'll be. But when they see it's that a, delivery fee tacked on to the already very expensive cup of coffee. <laughs> 
It's two ninety five for for <laughs> Starbucks, uh, and I don't believe there's a limit to order size. Again, I it, very useful for like sort of quasi catering. We're we're all having a meeting, and the coffee machine's too far away. We want to get some Starbucks. That's great. I think that's going to work. So I think this will be incremental because it's Uber Eats. This isn't adding any work to Starbucks other than that they have to make the drinks. And that's all within the Starbucks system. So the tags for these delivery orders are popping up the same way a tag pops up if, if I walk into the store and have put a mobile order in. So they're handling this very smart. And this is one of those areas where Johnson focusing on workflow is absolutely going to let stores – uh, increase their same store sales without increasing personnel, without uh, building a bigger store, having to add a, a second production line. They're going to be able to serve these online orders without slowing things down for customers in the store. And speaking of Johnson, this is also an area where, to your point, Dan, nobody wants a cold cup of coffee um, when it does arrive. And so this is where Johnson is really starting to uh, push in terms of just innovation of how can we make delivery work for many of our menu items. So, you know, on the packaging side, you're talking about splash-proof lids, tamper-proof packaging for some of like their sandwich offerings, and even hot and cold delivery containers. So I do think They'll have to figure out a way to make this work and then figure out which menu items are best served via the delivery. And I think that's a part of this pilot as they're rolling it out to these major cities, too. Yeah, like right now they're testing 95 percent of the menu and they might figure out like take something like a, a crumb cake. They might find out that, that the crumb cake falls apart when you deliver it and maybe – you should not offer that for delivery. I think they'll figure out the hot and cold issue, though they have to balance that with the fact that they've almost, they've also made promises on the environmental front. So it's not like they could just throw it in a heavy styrofoam cup. They have to sort of create reusable, recyclable packaging as well. It is a challenge, but it's not anywhere near the challenge that the food companies face. Because if you get a breakfast sandwich from Starbucks and you have to throw it in the microwave for 20 seconds, Breakfast sandwiches microwave much better than, say, French fries or chicken wings. So it's not a big a problem for Starbucks at maybe as, as maybe it is for some of the other food retailers. And I think this will be an even uh, bigger thing for Starbucks, especially as they expand in China as well. So uh, the startup that they're competing against is actually called Luckin Coffee. And basically, they sell on-demand coffee via their app, delivered to customers in 30 minutes or less, or it's free. Um, so you can easily see with a startup like this that has been growing uh, quite tremendously in China, why this delivery model is so important, especially there. Um, I know they also announced a partnership with Alibaba's platform to get up and running on their delivery model. And too, with the Alibaba partnership, it also gives them access to their, what is it, 600 million users within their ecosystem. Um, so I think delivery makes sense, not just from a brand and awareness perspective, and just access to a much larger customer base, but also to to keep up with the competition. I think there's more of an expectation of delivery in China based on where Starbucks already is in terms of being able to deliver. Um, but I can't. I, I won't hazard a guess. Maybe it's harder to get places. Maybe maybe transportation is more of an issue. But yeah, they're going to figure out how to use third parties to deliver in every market where delivery is an expectation. And I I, I mentioned third parties because that becomes scalable. If this is only a 2% add to stores, well then great. They didn't hire anybody. This isn't Pizza Hut hiring thousands of drivers to deliver their pizza. This is just another method where really 
the Uber Eats driver is no different than me when it comes to picking up an order. You know, they're grabbing the order at the counter, putting it in their thing, and leaving. So this is just Starbucks doing business as Starbucks, figuring out every possible way to get their products out there. Yeah, very good point, Dan. To close out our show today, I do want to throw one question to you, because I think this is something that's been debated among many of the analysts, even here at The Fool. Um, But do you see Starbucks still as a growth story, or is Starbucks now really settling into just a much mature, slower-growing company overall? So the day Howard Schultz left is the day I started to worry about Starbucks as a growth company. They, they're too far into the roastery building to scale that back, but that's only going to be a handful of roasteries. What we talked about earlier was scaling back the reserve stores and, more importantly, adding reserve bars. I do think that tempers Starbucks as a growth company. If you don't find a way to add something truly new that changes the experience – Uh, you are going to max out in the U.S. There's only so much efficiency. There's only so many more people you can serve. So unless they test the reserve program and then figure out, okay, here's how we're going to get to that 20%, it's just going to be a smaller rollout, then yeah, I do think sort of once China tops out, Starbucks won't be a growth company anymore. Fair enough. So lots to watch, especially 2019 into 2020 and with China. Dan, thank you so much for joining me here. We'll have to do this again very, very soon. Uh, Next time in the office. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, for all of our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, So glad to have you. That'll do it for this week's Industry Focus Consumer Goods Show. Uh, And as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Dan Klein, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!